Good morning, Kraut family, and happy, happy Sunday again, as always. So glad you can join us today. If you have your Bibles, turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 6, 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 12 through 20 is today's text. Again, 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 12 through 20. We're now in part 13 of our series, Undivided. Now, before we dive into the text, I want to do a quick review from verses 1 through 11. And and there in the text, Paul points out four things that the Corinthian believers were doing when they were suing each other. And you might remember these points. Uh, They were dismissing their credentials. They were dismissing their credentials. And in other words, they were taking their law problems and disputes and complaints before the unsaved judges, bringing the name of Jesus Christ low and ruining the testimony of the local church. And so Paul was stunned by this, stunned that one Christian would uh, prosecute another Christian before the secular courts. And so his point was that disputes between Christians should be handled within the local church and not in secular courts. Why? Why? Because as Christians, we have a different value system than that of the world. Look at verses 2 and 3 with me. Uh, Do you not know that the saints will judge the world, Paul says? And if you are to judge the world, are you not competent to judge trivial cases? Do you not know that we will judge angels, speaking of the fallen angels, how much more the things of this life? So Paul's point is that if God is going to give us this job later, which will be in the millennial kingdom, and that's in Revelation chapter 20, verse 4, shouldn't we be able to handle disputes between each other? And the answer should be, yes, we should. So they were dismissing their credentials also. They were destroying their credibility. They were destroying their credibility. And Paul is saying that disputes between believers ought to be settled by believers because believers have a higher wisdom than unbelieving judges. I want, let's, look, let's read verse 6. He says, but instead, one brother goes to law against another, and this in front of unbelievers. And you see, friends, because of the absence of these wise, mature believers, there was no mature believers there to to be the mediator of these uh, people who were in in contention against each other. Uh, they're, They're going public in the secular courts because they couldn't find these wise believers, they're going, they're going public in these secular courts and therefore having their testimony as a church trashed before the world. It's a shameful, humiliating disgrace in the sight of God, and it was destroying, destroying their credibility as believers. Also, they were defeating their cause. Remember that? They were defeating their cause. In fact, verses 7 and 8 explain what's at stake spiritually when Christians bring litigation against each other. And to have an unbelieving judge arbitrate for two Christians is defeat regardless of the verdict, regardless of of the outcome. And you see, no matter who wins the lawsuit, Paul's saying the cause of Christ suffers because people are turned off, turned off when they see believers fighting each other in an open, aggressive, hostile way. And then finally, he says, they're denying their conversion. They're denying, when they're suing each other, they're denying their conversion. And Paul says their contentious behavior uh, raises the question of whether some of them are really Christians. It's as if they are totally unaware of what Christian behavior ought to be like. And Paul is telling them, just like Christians should be different than unbelievers in the way they handle court cases, that difference should be reflected in all areas of life. And it reminds them, don't forget who you were and don't forget who you are. 
And he says, but you were washed and you were sanctified and were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of God. Paul's saying, since you have been washed, since you have been sanctified and justified, don't wrong others in the body of Christ with your aggressive legal pursuit of your personal rights. Don't live like you're, like you're unrighteous. Live as one who has been transformed. I love that. Transformed by the Spirit of God. This now brings us to today's text. And the title of my message today is Bot. Say that, Bot. Say that, Bot. Now, friends, the reality that we are living in today's culture means that we are in some way affected by sexual immorality. I mean, our technology has made it way, way too easy and instantly available. It's available anywhere, anytime, to everyone. Peter Kreeft, a professor of philosophy from Boston College, said, Sex is the effective religion of our culture. And you know what? Corinth was no different. Sexual immorality was accepted and highly regarded in the Corinthian culture. It flourished in Corinth. Now remember, on the south side of the city was a 1,900-foot-tall mountain, and on top of that mountain was constructed the temple of Aphrodite, the goddess of love. And every single day, thousands, thousands of men would go up to that mountain and worship Aphrodite with priestesses who served them. That's how bad it was. And some of the believers in Corinth were caught up in it. Apparently, apparently, they had not shaken all their pagan past and were highly influenced by their sex-crazed culture, and they argued that sexual immorality was right and proper for Christians. They were trying to justify their behavior. Well, while here in the text, Paul confronts them because he's passionate about them living differently in their sex-crazed culture. And what he does, he reminds them that they were bought at a price. Bought at a price. Two points from the text. If you're ready, say yes. Come on, if you're ready, say yes. Point number one is this. Rationalizations for sexual immorality. Rationalizations for sexual immorality. Now, the Corinthians had two arguments Two arguments to defend, uh, to justify, to rationalize sexual immorality. And the first argument is found in verse 12. And by the way, Paul will repeat this phrase in verse 12. He'll repeat that phrase in chapter 10 of 1 Corinthians, chapter 10, verse 23. And this was a popular phrase, a, a proverb going around uh, the church in Corinth based on a false view of Christian freedom. They were using this phrase, listen now, as a justification uh, for sexual sin. And the text says, everything is permissible for me. Or in other words, all things are lawful for me. So the Corinthian believers had thought that since they were in Christ, since they were in Christ, they were free to do whatever they wanted to do. In fact, in Galatians 5.13, Galatians chapter 5 Verse 13, Paul writes this, and pay attention to this. Paul writes, for you are called to freedom. Everyone say amen to that, right? He says, for you are called to freedom, brothers. Only, now listen to what he says, only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh. So apparently, they didn't adhere to the second part of that verse. 
They were cool with, for, for you were called to freedom, but not cool with only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh. They thought because they were saved, they now have an unrestricted freedom, somewhat a, a license to sin, that they are free to do anything. I mean, look at the text. Everything they say is permissible for me. All things are lawful for me. And Paul's response to this statement is, no, no, okay? You're not free to do whatever you want. Let's look at the text. But not everything is beneficial, Paul says. But not everything. Yeah, everything is permissible for me. Okay, all things are lawful for me. But Paul says, but not everything is beneficial. Are you getting this? Paul's telling them that you may have the freedom to choose. Yes, that's true. But not all things are beneficial. Not all things are helpful for you. In other words, friends, just because you have the freedom to do it doesn't mean you should do it. Are you guys with me? Let's read on the text, as Paul, what he does, repeat, he repeats the phrase once again. He says, everything is permissible for me, or lawful for me, but I will not be mastered by anything. So what he does, and I love this, he, he closes a loophole by simply saying, okay, you might think you have the freedom to do certain things, but not all of them are beneficial, not all of them are helpful, and nothing, listen to what he says, nothing should have control over your body. Nothing should dominate you. Are you guys with me? Now remember, and I want you to get this now, Paul is speaking in the text, he's speaking in terms of sexual immorality. And what he's saying to, uh, the, to the Corinthians, he's saying this, is sexual immorality helpful for you, is it? And his answer is no, it's harmful to you. And he goes on to say, if you get involved in anything that enslaves you, it's wrong, it's wrong, okay? If it controls you, then it's harmful. And what he's simply saying is this, things that you might have the liberty to do can end up being your master. You can end up being enslaved to. He's saying anything that dominates you, anything that controls you, anything that you're mastered by other than Jesus Christ, Paul says, is a breeding ground for sin. It's no good. If you're saved, say amen. Question, what are you unwilling to give up in your life? Think about that. What are you unwilling to give up in your life? Listen, if you're unwilling to give something up, if you're unwilling to give something up, then it's dominating you. It's controlling you. It has, listen, it has its master over you. It's over you. Listen, friends, just because, listen, just because I have freedom in Christ doesn't mean that all things are good for me. Are you with me now? Some things are just aren't worth it. Now, I may be free to eat donuts every single day of my life for the rest of my life, friends, but that doesn't mean that I'm, I'm going to be free from the, the fat added to my belly or the cholesterol added to my blood. Are you with me? Got it? Now, now considering our conduct as Christians, there are many choices that we have to make all throughout our daily lives, right? And concerning all of these choices, which we must make, in other words, what we watch, what kind of music we listen to, uh, what we drink, what we eat, uh, places we go, uh, how we dress, people we hang out with, there are some questions we should ask ourselves and ask God before we decide to do them. Ask ourselves this, is this helpful to my relationship with God? Is this helpful to my relationship with God? Does doing this, in other words, does, does doing this build me up spiritually 
or does it tear me down? We've got to ask ourselves, is this helpful to my relationship to the people around me? To the people around me. I've got to ask myself, is it going to be helpful to reach my non-Christian friends and my non-Christian co-workers who are looking at me trying to figure out why I believe in Christ? Ask myself, does it bring glory to God? Is this profitable for His kingdom? Ask myself, can, can I be a good witness for Christ and do this? Ask myself, will doing this cause someone to stumble? Got to ask myself, do I have an uneasy conscience if I do this thing? Got to ask myself, will doing this cause some sin to potentially have mastery over me? Hmm? You know, it breaks my heart when Christians ask the question, how much can I sin? How, how many things can I do and still be a Christian? That kind of thinking is self-centered. That, that kind of thinking is hedonistic, friends. Don't you think, don't you think that the attitude that we, as, that, that we Christians uh, ought to have is instead, how can I bring glory to God in my life and how can I be used by Him the most? Shouldn't we ask ourselves that question? So we just looked at the first argument. Look at the second argument that they had to justify, rationalize sexual immorality. Verse 13a, food for the stomach and stomach for food. I want to stop there. This is a popular Greek proverb that was used to apply to their sexual appetite. And they were simply saying, hey, the stomach was created for food. That's why it's there. And God created my stomach for food. It's just like my body. He created my body for pleasure. He created my body for sexual activity. If God made the body with all sorts of appetites, then why aren't we free to satisfy them? That's what they were saying, thinking, friends. And they, what they did, they treated sex as an appetite to be satisfied and not as a gift to be cherished and used carefully. Listen, friends, sensuality is sex. Listen, sensuality is to sex. sex. Sensuality is to sex what gluttony is to eating. Both are sinful and bring disastrous consequences. So Paul answers them in verse 13b. If you're still with me, say amen. Verse 13b, but God will destroy them both. But God will destroy them both. The relationship between the stomach food connection and the body-sex connection are not the same. God will destroy both stomach and foods. And they, they, they are temporal in nature. But the body, say the body, the body as a whole is destined to be eternal. Got it? Point number two. Point number two is reasons for sexual purity. Reasons for sexual purity. Now, 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 what Paul does here, and I love it, is he answers their questions by correcting their perspective. And he gives them three reasons, and I'm, I'm going to give you three subpoints here. The first one is this, the body, Paul's saying, the body is for the Lord. That's the first subpoint, the body is for the Lord. The first subpoint, the first reason, the body is for the Lord. This is the first way he corrects the perspective. Look at verse 13c. The body is not meant for sexual immorality. Did you get that? The body is not meant for sexual immorality. Now I want to stop there. Sexual immorality is the ancient Greek word pornea. 
uh, from which our word pornography comes from, and it broadly reflects uh, or, or, or refers, refer, refers excuse me, to all types of sexual impropriety, such as adultery, fornication, homosexuality, and bestiality. A simpler definition would be sex outside of marriage. So Paul says the body is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord. Did you get that? But for the Lord and the Lord for the body. Listen, friends, your body is important to God. Got it? Your body is important to God. He designed it. I mean, Psalm 139, Psalm 139, verses 13 through 16, 13 through 16 states that he designed it for his purpose. Now, 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 now get this. Your body was not created simply for you to just spend on your pleasures. God has a purpose for you being here on this earth. A purpose, friends, for your life. It's a purpose that will help in the fulfillment of advancing and establishing his kingdom. Listen, God wants to use your whole body, your whole body for that purpose. He wants to use all of yourself. You know what that's called? That's called service. That's serving him with all that you have and all that you are. He wants to use your whole body. That's how important your body is. He has a purpose for it. So if you're saved, say amen. Your body is important to God. Let's move on. Look at verse 14. By his power, God raised the Lord from the dead, and he will raise us also. Friends, one day my body, your body, will be resurrected. That's how important the body is to God. Now, I think as Christians, uh, we tend to ignore the importance of the body as though the body doesn't matter. And, and we're all good about, you know, hearing messages about, about our mind, our soul, our emotions, our will. But what about our bodies? And you see, the problem with most of us is that we have, a, we have an attitude problem with our bodies. And what we do is we, we, we reject it, we neglect it, and some of us go way too far, and we try to perfect it. So friends, listen. Here's a lesson, and this is the lesson. Our bodies count. My body, your body counts. Our bodies are not irrelevant. They count. Listen, taking care of our bodies, taking care of bodies is an issue of spiritual stewardship. In fact, friends, one day we will have to give an account for how well we manage everything that God gave to us, including our bodies. Including our bodies. So we need to understand the importance of the body. We were created by God. That's how important it is. Because God, listen, because God created my body, your body, my body, your body belongs to Him. And we're going to focus more on this later. Okay, also the incarnation. Think about the incarnation. God could have saved people. Listen, God could have saved people by just decreeing salvation from heaven. But He didn't. Instead, friends, He came to this earth as a human being in a human body and experienced all the bodily things we experience, such as hunger, thirst, tiredness, pain and ultimately death. 
In fact, in God's plan of salvation, he couldn't bear our sins. He couldn't do it. Couldn't bear our sins except by taking them unto himself bodily on the cross. How about the resurrection? Think about the resurrection. After the resurrection, Jesus wasn't merely a ghost, but he had a real body. And we will have real bodies in the resurrection. Listen, friends, when when we die, our soul goes to heaven. But one day, when Jesus comes back, that's the rapture, our souls will be outfitted with a glorified body that's perfectly adjusted to eternity. Someone say amen. And he will take what you're living in right now, friends, and no matter what shape it's in when he comes, whether you're in the ground, whether you're ashes, or whether you're still alive, he will gloriously reshape it into a body that you will enter into eternity with. It will be a body where you can see, hear, smell, taste, and touch. Someone say amen. And all of that, all of that supports the idea that our body is important to God. Your body, my body, counts. The second reason, the second sub-point, sub-point is this, Paul says to them, is the body is a member of Christ. The body is a member of of Christ. And this is the second way Paul corrects their perspective. And he presents this by using his, you know, don't you know technique. It's a rhetorical question. Don't you know? Well, you should know. And so verses 5 through 17, follow me now, verses, excuse me, 15 through 17, verses 15 through 17. Paul writes, Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ himself? We should. Shall I then take the members of Christ and unite them with a prostitute? Then he says, never. That's strong language that when he says never, it means may it never be. May it never be. Verse 16, do you not know that he who unites himself with a prostitute is one with her in body? For it is said, and what Paul does now, he does here now, is he quotes Genesis chapter 2, verse 24. Genesis 2, 24. And he says, the two will become one flesh. Got it? Speaking of marriage. Verse 17, But he who unites himself with the Lord is one with him in spirit. One with him in spirit. So Paul's saying, when you came to Christ, you were integrated, you were united with Christ. Your bodies became members of Christ. Therefore, everything, listen, therefore, everywhere you go, Christ goes. Everything you do, Christ is with you right there. And you see, this is why to put him on the shelf and then live any way you want to live is inconceivable, it's impossible, it's impractical Impractical because of your union with Christ. And Paul is simply saying, you're taking a member of Christ, your body, and you're uniting it outside of marriage with another body, and because of your spiritual union with Christ, you're dragging Christ into the process because he's with you everywhere at all times. Listen, what you do with your body cannot, say cannot, be separated from Christ. Cannot. Friends, there's a reason why the Bible speaks strongly, strongly against sexual immorality. Sex outside of marriage is destructive. Sex within marriage is constructive, beautiful, and it's creative. Warren Wiersbe said this, There may be excitement and enjoyment in sexual experience outside of marriage, but there is not enrichment. 
Sex outside of marriage is like a man robbing a bank. He gets something, but it's not his, and he will one day pay for it. Sex within marriage, sex within marriage, can be like a person putting money into a bank. There is safety and security, and he will collect dividends. Sex within marriage can build a relationship that brings joy in the future, but sex apart from marriage has a way of weakening future relationships, as every Christian counselor will tell you. Listen, friends, God gave you a sex drive. The sex drive that you have was put there by God, but His design was for sex to be used in a specific context. And the Bible calls this marriage between one man and one woman. You got it? Say amen. Let's move on. Verse 18a. Verse 18a. The first part of verse 18, Paul writes, flee from sexual immorality. Got that? You need to underline that, highlight that, circle that, memorize that, flee from sexual immorality. In chapter 7 of 1 Corinthians, of 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 2, Paul writes, But since there is so much immorality, each man should have his own wife and each woman her own husband. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 3. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 3. Paul, the same author, writes, It is God's will, God's will, say God's will, that you should be sanctified, in other words, set apart, that you should avoid sexual immorality. Abstain from it. Avoid it. And what comes to mind is who? We know this, right? Joseph. Remember Joseph in Genesis chapter 39? Genesis 39, verses 12 through 18. There you have the story of Joseph, who was a... Uh, he was in Potiphar's household. He, he took care of all of the things of Potiphar's household, but Potiphar's wife had the hots for Joseph. He was a, a very handsome man. And one day, she wanted to take him to bed, and Joseph ran like the wind. In fact, he left his cloak behind, and he ran. He ran like the wind. And friends, when we are tempted by sexual sin, we need to run from it. We need to run from temptation. Don't stay there. Don't stay there and savor it. Don't, don't test the waters. Don't, don't, don't play around with it. But you need to run. You need to flee from it. And when you run, don't leave a forwarding address. Joseph wanted to do was right in the eyes of God. He did not want to sin in the eyes of God. We need to run from it. We need to run from it. And too many times we sit there and we entertain it. And we kind of just, you know, savor it. And we stay there and we kind of test it and test the waters. We, we play around with it. Don't do that. Flee. Run. Get out. Verse 18b. All other sins a man commits are outside the body, but he who sins sexually sins against his own body. Friends, get this now, okay? Sin is sin. We get that. But sexual sin is the most serious sin a person can commit against his or her own body. Why? Why? Because it involves the whole person 
and has consequences in the total personality. It affects your emotions. The total personality. Its misuse corrupts at the deepest level. Not to mention, not to mention physical consequences such as STDs. It's the most serious sin. The third subpoint is this. Third reason. The body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. The body is a temple of the Holy Spirit. Say that. So the body is for the Lord. The body is a member of Christ. And now the body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. This is the third way Paul corrects their perspective. Look at verse 9 with me. If you're still with me, say amen. Verse 19, do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit? I want to stop there, friends, okay? A temple is not an object of worship. It's a place of worship. And since the Holy Spirit lives inside of us, and since our body is a temple of the Holy Spirit, then we must make it a worthy temple to God. So ultimately, listen now, ultimately what we do with our bodies and what we do to our bodies reveals what we really think of God himself. Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit? Let's read on. Who is in you, in you, whom you have received from God? Listen, since the Holy Spirit is in us, lives in us, we can never go any place apart from the presence of God. Now, we may close doors, we may pull down shades, we may turn off lights, but the Holy Spirit is still present, and we cannot escape His conviction. So since the Holy Spirit indwells us, right, friends, we ought to be very careful about desecrating or defiling the temple of God. So follow me here. Whenever a Christian involves him or herself in premarital sex or extramarital affair, he or she desecrates the temple, God's temple. Now, if you're saved, say amen. Come on, if you're saved, say amen. Since the Holy Spirit is living inside of you, okay, dwelling inside of you, let me ask you this question. How are you treating him? How are you treating the one who lives with inside of you? Does he feel at home in your life? Does he feel at home in your thoughts? Does he feel at home in your conversations? Does he feel at home with the people you associate with? Does he feel at home, listen now, uh, with the places you go or with the things that you watch? How about, friends, okay, what you post on Facebook, Twitter, Snapchat, Instagram, TikTok, whatever it might be. Does he feel at home with your activities through the day and through the night? Does he? Because he's living inside of you. Let's read on. You are not your own, Paul writes. You are not your own. Listen, friends, since God created you, he owns you. Say that. He owns you. Okay, your body is not yours doesn't belong to you. He owns you. It's on loan from him, and he wants to see what you're going to do with it and how you're going to treat it. God, listen now, wants you to make your body a worthy temple. Now, now what does our culture say about their bodies? What do they say? Well, they say, my body is mine. It's my body, and I'll do whatever I want with my body. It's my body. You know what God says to that? God says, no. 
It's not your body. You're wrong. It's not your body because you didn't create it. God says, I made it and I loaned it to you to live in it while I put you here on this earth and I expect you to take care of my creation. What does a Christian say about their bodies? About their body. Well, my body belongs to God. That's what we say. Our, my body belongs to God. It's not mine, it's His, and I will do whatever He wants me to do with my body. God is yours. This is my body. It's yours. Everything, Lord, is yours. I, I don't own myself. You own me. You own all that I have. You own my body. I'm not my own. I belong to you. So God created our bodies, right? God owns our bodies, and He bought he bought, I love that, and paid for our bodies. Brings us right to verse 20. You are bought at a price. You are bought at a price. If you love that, say amen. Okay, now I want to stop there. How much did it cost him? You were bought at a price, right? So how much did it cost him? How much was that price? Including your body, including to save you and to get you to heaven. How much did it cost him? How much did it cost him? Well, it cost him his son's blood. It cost him his son's life. He paid for your life with his life. It was a massive, massive price. So let's read on. So since you were bought at a price, then what Paul says, therefore, since you were bought at a price, therefore, and here's the main thrust, and the big lesson of the text, honor God with your body. Got it? Honor God with your body. You are bought out of slavery to sin to belong to someone else. You now belong to God. You were delivered from service to sin in order to serve God. Now before, before you serve sin with your bodies, now you are to glorify and serve God with your bodies, with and in with your bodies. And you see, the whole purpose of salvation and the indwelling of the Holy Spirit in our lives is that we might honor and glorify God in and with our bodies. Friends, if we're saved, then, we're, then we are redeemed people. Therefore, we should put away from any thought of sexual sin which would bring discredit upon God, defile our bodies, and ruin our testimonies before others. So here's a lesson. Ready for the lesson? Here's a lesson. Our bodies, you got to get this, our bodies are not only temples, but also testimonies. I'm going to say it again. Write it down. Our bodies are not only temples of the Holy Spirit, but also testimonies. Paul writes in Philippians chapter 1, verse 20, Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by life or death. Now, if you're saved, say amen. My body, your body, ought to be a vessel, an instrument, a tool to be used by God for His glory. Romans 6.13 says this, excuse me, Romans 6.13 says this, offer every part of yourself to him as an instrument of, listen now, righteousness. As an instrument of righteousness, right living, friends. Listen, how is it? How we live and what we do with our body should be a witness to those around us of how Jesus Christ has transformed our lives. They ought to see Jesus Christ in us. We ought to be different. 
how we live and what we do with our bodies ought to demonstrate that. Now, friends, if you're married, if you're married, if you're married, say amen. If you're married, yield your body to God and say, God, in my marriage, I want to glorify you. Lord, I want to glorify you. I, I, will, I, I will stay faithful in my marriage, Father Lord. I will stay faithful and protect and keep my marriage pure from outside sexual activity. If you're a single person, you need to yield your body to God and say, I want to glorify you, God and not engage, and not engage in sexual activity. I'm going to stay pure, and I will not engage in sexual activity until I find the right person and marry them in marriage. You see, God's intention is simple, man. And this is it. Stay pure until you're married. Stay married until you're dead. I'm going to say it again. Stay pure until you're married. Stay married until you're dead. Now, a word for those of you who are living together, whether you're Christians or not, living together. Did you know that people living together first are more apt to fail in their marriage than couples who move in after marriage? Stay with me here. Couples who live together before marriage have a 50% greater chance of divorce than those who don't. Now listen, okay? Non-Christians... And Christians, because there are some Christians who are living together. Huh? Listen, living together is a violation of God's Word. It's not my opinion. It's not what I think. It's what God's Word says. Living together is sin. It's a violation of God's Word, and it will undermine any future relationship you will want to have. And I want to say this, and I say it with love. Listen now, if you're fornicating, if you're having sex outside of marriage, stop it. Stop it. Stop the hanky-panky. All right? Turn from that. Repent from that. Stop it. Oh, well, but you know, uh, but we feel God's okay with us living together and, and having sex because, you know, we love each other. Where do you find that in the Bible? Where? Because you know what? It's not there. Quit trying to justify fornication. It violates. Listen now, it's a violation against God's word. Ephesians 5.3 says this. Ephesians 5, chapter 5, verse 3, Paul writes, But among you there must not even be a hint, a hint of sexual immorality or of any kind of impurity, or of greed, because these are improper for God's holy people. Got it? Friends, we are to glorify Him with our bodies. We are called God's holy people, okay? And we are to glorify Him with all we do, okay? With all we do, our actions, our behaviors, our thoughts, even our gestures. Listen, we cannot glorify God in and with our bodies if our bodies are found engaging in activities that do not honor Him. We need to present ourselves. Listen now. Present ourselves at all times in every situation in such a way that pleases and glorifies God. So question, question. 
Are we living in such a way that does that? Are we living in such a way that pleases and glorifies God? And if not, okay, we better get it right. We should be living in a way that pleases and glorifies God. Okay? So, friends, the body is for the Lord. The body is a member of Christ. The body is a temple of God's Holy Spirit. So as we, we wrap this up, I want to give you some practical ways that will help you avoid sexual immorality because we should have a zero-tolerance policy. Get this now, a zero-tolerance policy when it comes to sexual immorality. As believers, you got that? So some practical ways uh, that will help us avoid sexual immorality. First way is this, guard the mind. We need to guard, write that down, guard the mind. Because the battle begins in the mind. And friends, you need to be careful what you fill your mind with. Listen, imagination is often the, the hotbed where sin is often hatched. So, so don't, listen, don't allow your mind to go places you don't want your body to go. I'm going to say it again. Don't allow your mind to go places you don't want your body to go. Matthew 5.28. Matthew 5.28 says, But I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery within, with her in his heart. Got it? So we got we to gotta guard the mind. Guard the mind. The next way is this. Stay in the Word. Stay in the Word. Stay in the Word of God. Saturate yourself with the Word of God. Daily flood yourself with the Word of God. Psalm 119, verse 11. Psalm 119, verse 11 says, I have hidden your Word in my heart that I may not sin, that I might not sin against you, God. So we got to hide the Word of God in our hearts. Well, how do we do that? Well, you stay in the Word. Study the Word. Immerse yourself in the Word. You see, friends, it's sin that will keep us from the Word of God, but it's the Word of God that will keep us from sin. Another way is this, pray daily. Write that down, pray daily. Get on your face every day before you start your day and say, Lord, I need your power. Depend on the power of God's Holy Spirit. I need your power, Lord, to strengthen me in this battle. In this battle. Another way is this, don't put yourself in tempting situations. I mean, that's very obvious, right? It's practical, right? I mean, right? Don't put yourself in tempting situations. Hey, listen, if the internet, magazines, TV, Facebook, or Instagram, or whatever it is, is causing you to sin, cut it loose. Cut it loose. Unfollow people who are posting explicit photos. And if you're dating somebody right now, friends, don't be alone with each other. Set some boundaries. And the people, listen, if the people you are hanging out with are causing you to sin, cut them loose. Cut them loose. Cut them loose. You need to set some boundaries, okay? Don't, don't put yourself in tempting situations. Another way is this. Don't allow your eyes to wander. Don't allow your eyes to wonder. 
Got it? Back to Matthew 5.28. I just gave it to you earlier, Matthew 5.28. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Job, Job 31.1. Job says, okay, I had made a covenant with my eyes not to look lustfully at a young woman. Don't allow your eyes to wander. Let me tell you something, friends. The worst thing you can do is take a second look. That's when we get in trouble. It's when we take a second look. Don't take a second look. Another way is this. Be accountable. Be accountable. This is so important. And be accountable to someone of the opposite sex, okay? Got it? Friends, listen now. We need to be accountable to others. You, you cannot, listen, we cannot, you cannot, we cannot fight this alone. You need God's help and you need God's people to help you too. Okay? So find someone you trust and share your struggles with them. In other ways, and lastly is this, is offer your body as a living sacrifice. Offer your body as a living sacrifice. Romans 12, 1. Therefore, I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing. You got that? As living sacrifices, as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God, this is your spiritual act of worship. So offering your body as a living sacrifice is something that you and I need to do daily. And we do this by daily yielding our bodies to God, coming before God and, and saying, God, I offer my body to you, Lord, as a living sacrifice. So, Lord, therefore, show me, show me how I should dress. Show me how I should treat my body. Show me, Lord Jesus, give me the strength to, to keep my body sexually pure. Show me and guide me so that my body would be an instrument of righteousness that I might glorify and honor you in and with my body. I want to leave you with this. When you do sin in this area, confess and repent of it and know that you are forgiven. Repent, confess and repent of it and know, know that you are forgiven. First John 1 John 1.9, I'm going to close with this. First John 1 John 1.9. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your amazing, awesome word that speaks to us loud and clear. And Father, might we keep fresh within our minds that, that you bought us at a price. Therefore, our bodies belong to you. Our bodies are members of Christ and our bodies are the temple of the Holy Spirit. And Father, I pray that daily we would present ourselves at all times in every situation, every circumstance in such a way that pleases and glorifies you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.
Someone say amen. Hey, listen, let me say this. If you're struggling with sexual immorality and you're addicted to, to this, call me, text me, and, and myself and the pastors or elders will, will just stand beside you and get you through this and help you to overcome sexual addiction. Okay? just want to say that. Now, before I let you go, I, I, I want to give you the opportunity, as always, to, to surrender your life to Jesus Christ, to ask Him to come in your life, to be your personal Lord and Savior, to follow Him. And if that's you, there's three things you must do. You, you must admit that you're a sinner. You must acknowledge that you need a substitute. And you must accept Jesus Christ as Savior. You see, Romans 10, 9 says that if you confess with your mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, you will, not might, you will be saved. So if that's you, you want to surrender your life to Him, be born again and follow Jesus Christ. Bow your head and close your eyes and, and repeat this prayer after me. Jesus, I invite you to come into my life to save me, to change me, and to cleanse me. I confess with my mouth that, that you are Lord, and I believe within my heart that God raised you from the dead. I receive you this day. I am saved, sealed, sanctified, justified, purchased by the blood of Jesus Christ. I am born again. Thank you, Jesus, for receiving me this day. From this day forward, I will serve you faithfully and live for you faithfully until you call me home. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Now, if you said that prayer, we would love to hear from you. In fact, you can email us at contact at cryout.org. And that's, that's contact at cryout.org. We'd love to hear from you. So I hope you have a wonderful Sunday. God bless you all, miss you all, and God is good, right? God is so good. You have a wonderful week, and I'll see you next Sunday. God bless.